Welcome to another episode of the podcast Strictly Business, in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. Whether you've lived under a rock or not for the past 10 years, you know of the unscripted TV juggernaut that is Keeping Up with the Kardashians. The series is produced by Bunim Murray, a production company that has done so much more than the Kardashians, dating way back to the reality genre's seminal hit The Real World. Bunim Murray CEO Gil Goldshein is with me today to talk about the unscripted business and his company's place in it. Thanks for coming in, Gil. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, it's funny, Buna Murray, to me, it's one of the few production companies I can think of that I feel like brands itself in a way that dating back to the real world, it just kind of always stuck in my head. It wasn't just an MTV show, it was Buna Murray. I mean, do you feel like there is that brand clout that comes with the company? Absolutely. And I mean, it's something that we're really proud of and something that we really foster. I always tell people there are two major tenets of who Buna Murray is as a company. And one of them is a pioneer. John and the late Maris Bunim were credited with creating the reality genre with the real world back in 1992 for MTV. And that pioneering spirit is what drives me and drives every member of our team and has for the past 32 years is we want to tell stories that you haven't heard before. We want to find characters that the audience hasn't seen before. So that's really just like the real world was genre busting and pioneering. We're trying to find that in every series that we do. And I mean, I think a great example of that would be Born This Way, which was an Emmy award winning series that we did for A&E and showcasing the ability within the disability of seven young adults with Down syndrome. And that's something that we felt strongly was a story that should be told, and it took us years to get on the air, but it's something we never gave up on and really persevered until we found the right partner, distribution partner that was willing to put that on the air. But the business has changed uh, a lot uh, since the real world first put your company on the map. And to be clear, you haven't been with the company since the very beginning. When did you start? Correct. I started as their in-house lawyer in 2001. And transitioned to the CEO? Uh, I transitioned to president CEO in 2007, running the business, and then officially CEO in 2015. And so I bet even in that short amount of time that you were in the top post, things have probably gotten very different in recent years. What's it like being out in the marketplace? Oh, things have gotten different from one week to the next. Uh, So it really is amazing to see our genre evolve. I remember going all the way back to 2001 or mid-2000s when we would come to events like this or more industry-specific like Nappy or Real Screen, and inevitably somebody in the audience would always ask, is this reality thing just a fad? Is this going to go away? And that's a question I haven't heard in 10 years. But with that said, I think the genre has continued to evolve. And what also amazes me is the international component. I used to go with a colleague of mine to MIPCOM, which is an international um, conference for buyers from all over the world, and we would be trying to sell some of our shows. This was before we sold the company to Banerjee. And it's amazing to see in those territories sometimes still had two or three channels, mm-hmm. while here in the U.S. we had, you know, at that time, even if you had network and cable, you know, 500 channels. So what's happening now, just not only in the U.S. or around the world, is the fragmentation and so many different places where you can find programming. I wouldn't have imagined that back in the early, in the mid-2000s, early 2000s, that the genre would become this multi, multi multi-billion dollar industry. 
And it's interesting when you think of the post 500 channel universe and the real world back all these years later, but it's on Facebook watch. I mean, streamers, I assume if there's any one thing that has changed the game is just this, this explosion of new buyers. Yeah, and what's interesting for us as a seller, as a content creator, is being able to tell stories in new ways. I always tell people, back in 1991, when Real World was sold to MTV, MTV was known for music videos. They weren't doing reality programming. So in essence, 1992, The Real World, that was a, a new platform for that show. And now cut to 2018, 2019, when we were producing Endless Summer for Snapchat, where we got 28 million unique views, viewers, that's a new platform. And when we take Real World back to Facebook, there's still issues. The issues we were dealing with in 1992 were different, but there were issues in, of diversity, et cetera, that that was a social experiment. And what we're trying to do now is, well, what are the, what are the issues of today? And with what's going to resonate with the youthful audience of today? So some of those brands, like a Real World or a format like that, absolutely can resonate with a modern-day audience. And for us, as wanting to tell these stories, these platforms are great because it allows us to tell stories in a different way and potentially work with different tools, whether it's filming for Snapchat. It's a five- to seven-minute storytelling mechanism that we weren't able to do, and that's exciting from a creator perspective that we get the opportunity to to work with that new platform and new technology to tell stories that resonates with today's youth and audience that is different than what we were dealing with back in the early days. Well, speaking of different, is the deal-making with the Facebooks and Snaps of the world significantly different than, say, the broadcast and cable players you were used to? Yes and no. In some sense, I think it's really a case-by-case basis. It depends whether we're talking about a docuseries. It depends whether you're talking about a format. I mean, I think to me the biggest differentiation or a point that really still has to be worked out, and I think as this continues to evolve and more and more streamers come online this year and as we go forward, it's going to be a rights issue where, especially if you're talking about a format that has potential to, to go around the world and be global, streamers want to control all of those rights. And then you have these typical larger companies, international companies that control the rights that they're, they're used to selling on a territory-by-territory basis. And that doesn't necessarily line up right now with how the streamers are trying to structure their deal. So I think ultimately that's probably one of the biggest sticking points. How do you work around that? Some of the, and it's giving away those rights in, in perpetuity. So I think it, it comes down like everything else in our business. It's leverage and how many different buyers want that particular project to the extent that you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you have multiple offers on the table. Obviously, that gives you leverage from a, from a business perspective. Uh, to the extent you don't, then these are the hard decisions where you say, well, wait a minute, I'd rather hold on to the rights and not sell it. Or is there another model? And I'm a firm believer that I think the models will continue to evolve because there's just way too much competition right now. And this is still all going to be worked out this year and going into the future. You mentioned uh, your parent company, Banerjee, earlier, um, who are, uh, as we record this, fresh off the uh, acquisition of yet another reality uh, production house, powerhouse uh, in Endemol Shine. You guys are now 10 years in the fold. What has that meant to have uh, a company of that size at your back? It's been great. It's been a great relationship internally, I think, to have international distribution built in. I had mentioned earlier that a colleague of mine, we used to go before the Banerjee days and, and, and show up to the 
to MIPCOM where you have 10,000 people from all over the world. And at that point, I was just cold calling people, looking in the book, you know, trying to find, okay, which territory do I think might be interested in this project that we happen to retain the rights to. And that was difficult. I'd have these meetings. They're 30-minute quick meetings, and I'm trying to sell the rights to a certain series. So to be able to become part of a group that has people who do this for a career, they have the Rolodex, they have the relationships. So international distribution has been great to be able to have them on our side. Obviously, a robust catalog that we get to see of what's working around the, around the world and other territories that we could potentially go ahead and bring and adapt in the U.S., also, to be able, quite honestly, what I always love, we also have creative meetings a few times a year where some of the top people, creative people from around the world, will get together around the table and share ideas about what they're developing. And what I love about that is, inevitably, we always find certain trends, and you see that they're global trends. Like, a lot of us, even though we're not talking to one another, we're unilaterally, in some ways, developing in similar spaces. So I love focusing on that and seeing where these global trends are and that even if it's not the right creative to know that we're in the right, in the right lane and we're on the right path because this is what's resonating, not just what we think in the U.S. with our audience, but potentially on a global basis. So I think with that said, I think it's also great from a scale perspective to be able to have that scale and be part of a larger company, whether it's the rights negotiation, which we touched upon. So when, you, when you're part of a larger group, that helps, and you have access to a lot more creativity, because at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. Who knows where that next big idea is going to come from? As we saw right now, recently, Mass Singer, huge success in the U.S., South Korean format. So a few years ago, you had some huge formats coming out of Israel. So it's a matter of now that we're part of a group with a lot of different sister companies across the globe, we're hoping that, obviously, I'd like us to be the ones to create that next big, huge format that, that travels around the world, but to the extent it's a sister company of ours in a foreign territory and we get the rights to produce it in the U.S., I think that's a win-win. And you also have another interesting collaboration with the sister company, Yellowbird, which is actually taking you into the scripted business, right? I mean, or you're probably already there. Yeah, so it's interesting because we were, over the years, we've, we've dabbled in scripted. It's not what we're known for, but for us, the driving factors really is there a great story? Do we think great characters? And to the extent that there were certain properties that we, that we found that we thought would make sense in the scripted space, we've, we've either optioned or gone out and pitched those, and we've done some pilots. And what really came out of this was, yes, the relationship, a great relationship with the CEO of Scan- who oversees all of Scandinavia, a, a, fan, a personal fan of the work that Yellowbird was doing internationally, seeing what was happening, the proliferation of streamers and storytelling and more and more investment in the drama space, and felt that there was a real opportunity for Buna Murray, who wasn't necessarily well-known in the scripted space, but have relationships and contacts and sort of a point of view within the U.S., partnering and doing a joint venture with our sister company, Yellowbird, that has... 15 to 20 years of experience in the drama space and felt, can we find stories that can resonate globally and these amazing stories that can be told both for the U.S. market and, and abroad? And so it's whether it was stuff that they had in there, were they properties that they had in their catalog, relationships that they had with Scandi writers, and then also looking at the U.S. market for specific type of dramas that resonate and are on on brand for Yellowbird. So we've got several projects that we've already set up. Nothing I could announce as of yet, but we're hoping this year to be able to announce a few projects. But 
Marianne Gray, who runs that department, came in, hit the ground running, has a great small department, and have numerous projects already at different phases of development. But what does scripted mean to you? Is this something where it's like, oh, we, we've got to you know, be as – we have to have a 50-50 company, scripted and unscripted, or it's just sort of like, hey, let's try this. So Yellowbird is 100% scripted. And I mean in terms of your own ambitions at Bune and Murray and how exposed your company should be to the scripted space. Right. So with Bune and Murray, and that's why I like the Yellowbird. Well, so Yellowbird would be very, very um, specific to that brand, and that's Scandino or drama. So if we find a great story that's comedy or more youthful, that might be something I would run through Bune and Murray. But Bune and Murray isn't really focused on the scripted space. If a project comes in, there's some stuff in animation we have. Like I said, something youthful. We also have a kids and family d- division. So to the extent there's anything in the scripted space through those departments, we'll, we'll go ahead. But we are still predominantly, and our main focus is unscripted, and we'll take some shots on the scripted side. But it's not a large percentage. Yellowbird is really where the focus is, and again, mainly on drama. Another interesting collaboration, or I should say investment, is what you've done with Shareability, which is you know a data company. Talk about what I've, – I've never heard of a deal like this, so walk me through it. So it's interesting. So look, we, we pride ourselves on, on having our finger on the pulse of what we think will resonate with the audience and what they're interested in, whether that's characters, whether that's finding a family like the Kardashians, or whether that's finding interesting – worlds to 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 focus on and tell stories about but as i take a step back and look at the industry as a whole and you hear a lot about data right you have netflix who has their algorithm that's deciding on whether or not sort of which shows they're picking up or which shows they're not picking up and a lot of the other streamers we don't need to name them all but they're they're very data heavy and um as a production company as a studio as a creator we don't have that information so what we're relying on is you know our gut our research and we're out there in the marketplace so for me it was important to try to add another layer of informing ourselves and being able to go in with the strongest pitch possible when we walk into a network so with a partner like shareability and what they were able to do and have consistently done i think over 30 times um, the CEO, Tim Staples, who's brilliant, wrote a book called Breaking Through the Noise, is, and they came from the brand side and agency side, is they have found a way to come up with creative content that does that and, and reaches tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of viewers. So on the one hand, it's really a twofold approach. One is on the front end of that, is what can we learn about trends, characters, um, worlds, from the data that they're able to pull together with their own proprietary ways of doing so that I'm not privy to, but whatever they do, what can we learn on the front end? And whether that's if we come up with a creative idea and then incubate it with them and try to just find out where the interest lies or if there are certain things that they're seeing and trends in their day-to-day business, then going ahead and utilizing and taking that information and walking into a network and being able to say to them, Here's a great concept, but by the way, I already know we have an audience. So I would say it's akin to back maybe five, ten years ago in the industry when a company like ours can walk into a network and say, oh, we just optioned this show from this foreign territory. This is what the ratings were like. This is what the market share was. We had a story to tell and a, a rating story, a success story, and 
that would go into their analysis of whether or not they would want to pick up the show. I'm trying to do the same thing now with data on the front end. We walk in and say, here are how many millions of people viewed this. This is how many millions of people are talking about this topic, whatever it might be. That's on the front end. On the back end is we want to be able to utilize it really as a marketing tool as well. So assuming that we have success on the front end when we walk into the network and they buy it because they see, wow, there really is an appetite for this type of show and there's an audience there, then we want to be able to go back out after we have that show air on whatever the distribution platform it is, then have them go back and now market that show back to those people that we know are interested in doing that. That is definitely something I've never heard of before. That's a pretty innovative approach. Um, I mentioned off the top the Kardashians. I mean, would you have thought when this juggernaut began rolling out, I don't even know how many years ago now, at least 10? 2007. Okay. Um, that it would still be going today? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yes and no. I, I guess the truth is I jumped to the no too quick, cause, and I mentioned this earlier on a panel by design, look, Buna Murray as a company has launched numerous franchises. I mean, franchises are brands with a lot of the show. Real World went for 30-plus seasons. The Challenge is going, you know, 35-plus seasons. Kardashians are now in season 18. Uh, Divas, Bellas, a lot of the series that we produce go for numerous. So that doesn't just happen. There's work. Starting with season one, we do everything we can to try to make sure that we get to a season two and season three. So part of that is as a company we really try to keep things fresh and, and, and make sure that the show continues to, to evolve and, mm -hmm. and stay relevant. Um, so that's what we do on our side. From a family perspective, yeah, one wouldn't think, especially at the level of celebrity and success that they're now at, that is, you know, no. I would not have thought that it would be going on as long as it is. But what's amazing about the family um, is how open they are. And mm -hmm. I think that's really the key to success is as long as they – continue to remain open about their lives, I think people will continue to watch. I mean, the, the relatability between the interrelationships, whether it's sibling or mother, daughter, and now obviously kids and more people coming in, just there, there's, that's life for all of us, right? Our stories continue to write themselves and sometimes in ways that we just don't see. So I think the key to that family and the, ev the evolution and the reason it's been on for so long is that they're open to the process. What's also counterintuitive to me is, you know, they are everywhere in large part, I think, also because of the digital presence they have across social platforms where they're, you know, among the most popular attractions. And yet, despite, you know, this great existence of theirs on Instagram and whatnot, it doesn't really siphon from the TV show. They all feed each other. And I would not have expected that to be the case. Did you ever have any trepidation about that? I think they feed each other in certain ways. I mean, the show, you can go deeper. You can really get into the story. And the nature of some of these new platforms and new technologies are shorter form. And I think there's been a lot of discussion about short form, Snap, which we have several projects with now and been a great working relationship Obviously, Quibi has been making a lot of noise about their short form. Well, I think that will continue to evolve. I think with a show like ours, you really get into the meat of the story. You really get to the heart of it. And I think that's really why 
you can have both and it isn't taking away the digital what they're doing on digital isn't taking away from the show but i think it's additive and it continues the conversation and people continue to be interested in both will the show be around in another 10 years i hope so <laughs> i'll bet another fun one you guys have starting soon is coming to nickelodeon uh, the Crystal Maze, which, you know, perhaps my listeners in the UK will know because that's really where it became very popular. Um, talk a bit about what uh, drew you guys into this and why you're making a go of it in the US and at Nickelodeon. Yeah, so interesting. So I think it ties back to an earlier point we talked about, which was being part of an international group. So this is a sister company called RDF that produces Crystal Maze in the UK. It's an iconic game show. It had been on the air, I believe, 20 years ago for a long time, went off for a little bit, and then RDF brought it back a few seasons ago. Hugely successful, very well known, and it's more geared towards, it's not a kid's game show, it's adult and then they had a celebrity version. And what we did is we adapted it for the U.S., but for kids and family. And we had been looking at the kids and family space for a couple of years and felt like there was an opening or a white space, if you will, where there wasn't a lot of sort of reality programming for kids. And very few buyers, and, and it, it, we did some pilots and some presentations, um, but it really wasn't taking off. And I think in 2019, all of a sudden, there was, became a lot of interest in kids and family. Uh, Rob Bagshaw, who heads Nickelodeon Unscripted, uh, had worked for us many years. He was the showrunner for Project Runway All-Stars, and he had worked for us uh, ran, running our New York office for a couple of years, had a very good relationship, and he's a Brit, and he's very familiar with Crystal Maze. And I think he, once he came into Nickelodeon, he was aware of that format, and uh, it's something that they really, a direction that they wanted to go in. So I, I'm super excited about how that ties in again to being part of an international group. We were able to go ahead and see an opportunity with from a sister company of, of a property that was within their catalog, but at the same time be able to adapt it to not just a different territory, but also to a different audience. So that airs January 24th, I think, on Nickelodeon. We'll see, but it was a great show. The families loved it. It's a great, fun show, and uh, I think we're really excited to see how it does. What has, if any, its international exposure been outside the UK? Because as you know, like the very best unscripted formats can become wildly successful by going into dozens, maybe, I don't know, hundreds of territories. Yes. So as of right now, to the best of my knowledge, I think it's just the UK and then we'll be adapting it now in the US. So it'll be interesting to see because, again, also certain territories might not be looking at it. They might have just been looking at it for the adult audience or just specifically for broadcast. But what we're hoping to do is what we think this Nickelodeon show will do is open that up and realize, wait a minute, there's another way of doing this series. So if you could do kids and family, maybe that opens up some more opportunities in other territories or just brings more exposure to it around the world as well, whether it's kids or family or more of an adult version. It really is malleable and could work both ways very well. Uh, I'm curious to get a sense from you looking very broadly, let's keep it to the U.S. though, of what are the hot genres or, or sub-genres within Unscripted. It's always fascinating to me how this particular, this reality space, you know, different formats come in and out of vogue. It's almost too hard to keep track of. 100%. I, I agree. The trend right now, which, which I'm excited about, quite honestly, because I think for us it's, the pendulum has swung all the way back, are these documentaries, premium docs or docu-series. 
And the company started with Real World, where it really was a social experiment in docu. That show was about putting seven strangers from diverse backgrounds into a loft, into a house, and really just filming for four months without prompting and just seeing what's going to happen. And then the industry a few years ago came back to that in a way where there, there was a period of time where it had everything had to be over the top or you walk into a pitch and buyers would say that's too earnest. And then here we are, you know, we're able to produce a born this way. Or now you're seeing premium documentaries getting into some really serious subjects. Those type of programs weren't being bought, you know, even five years ago. So as a company, personally, that's what I'm excited about where the industry is right now is to be able to focus and tell real stories and to really get to the heart of the matter of what's going on as, as hard as some of those stories are to, are, are to tell. Um, so I think that's the trend now. I hope that it's not just a trend. I hope that there's enough, there's enough programming need. There are so many different platforms. I think everybody's still trying to, to, to carve their niche in the type of programming that we're doing. So for us, the drivers, what's the, what's, what's the story that hasn't been told? Where, who are the characters that you know, the world hasn't seen? What are the voices, the diverse voices, that people haven't heard from yet? So that's really what drives me, what drives us. And for our team, it's where, what are you passionate about? Like, it should be driven by passion. So I think that's we're going to continue to see more and more of that. So I do think it will continue to evolve. What excites me is about trying to find those new stories, those new areas, those new technologies, those new platforms where – Maybe it's not a new story per se, but there's a new way to do it. And that's why Snapchat's exciting to me because we're telling compelling stories in five to seven minutes. Mm -hmm. And that also re-energizes the team mm -hmm. from production all the way through post-production because these are people who are used to sort of a certain format for all of these years. And that's what I love about where we are as an industry is that we're really able to challenge ourselves creatively and, and reinvent ourselves in creative storytelling ways that we weren't able to do or, or that we just the platforms weren't there for us to do it. And the more as technology evolves, it allows us and gives us more tools to really play with and really get into this emerging type of storytelling or interactive storytelling or wherever direction it may go. Yeah, I mean, the interactive thing is become somewhat of a, a trend. Uh, I mean, maybe some, some in scripted as well. Um, do you feel like that is a place that we could see eventually become hot? I feel like I've been writing about interactive is going to get hot for 20 years. Yeah, exactly. And I've been trying to crack it for 20 years. <laughs> I think it's a good question. I've always been a big believer in that. But I think as the technology continues to evolve, I think we're probably closer to it today than we were 20 years ago when we were talking about it. But that type of discussion, that type of creative exercise, when you get people into a room to be like, okay, how, what can we do that would? What can we do live? We've been trying to crack live. In the U.S., it's difficult with time zones, but internationally, that works well. Sometimes they get, you know, huge number percentage-wise in some of these European territories when they find that everybody, including the whole family, is sitting around playing either a game show together. I'd love to try to find that show domestically where – it's not a sporting event. You know, it's not the Super Bowl where everybody's gathering. But can you come up with an entertainment show where you can gather all of those people? Or ultimately, can you create a show where the people at home feel as though they're participating? It feels like the power of Unscripted is that when it's done at its absolute best, when it's truly a hit, it becomes something that's becoming increasing let re sorry, increasingly rare, which is 
you have to see it when it comes out, which is great for sort of traditional ad-supported television. I mean, is that really kind of like the, the, the bullseye that you have to hit in your business? Yeah, which is why it's challenging right now. Uh, yes, because it's such an on-demand-driven world right now. And there's so much competition. There's so, so much programming, and not everything can get marketed, not every program. So not only are you dealing with this plethora of, of channels and platforms, but at the same time, you're also competing with all these other adjacent platforms, and everybody's on their mobile device, and there's so much competition. So how do you break through that noise? And, and not not every not all these channels have the marketing muscle to push everything so yes it is but at the same time i think for us it's more about really telling us the story that we're passionate about or something we feel could resonate and and also sometimes being patient and letting it grow because not everything is going to be a hit out of the gate and i think sometimes the kardashians i think is a great example certainly internationally there were first few years where nobody internationally knew what that show was or who that family was it took a few years before the market really knew who that family was. And then obviously even within those countries, they started showing up on the covers of their magazines, et cetera. So I think it's a balance. I and mean, for us, it's not, you don't necessarily have to hit it out of the park, episode one and have a huge, I think, yes, that helps. But I think sometimes it's also being patient and believing in the property that you have and believing over time, the audience will find it. Well, we'll see what uh, shows coming out of Buna Murray in the coming years. Uh get to hit level wish you the best of luck with that thank you appreciate it this has been another episode of strictly business tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers and please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes also leave a review in apple Podcasts. let us know how we're doing 